This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And as always, I'm here with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah. Who do we have on the pod today? Well, actually, we have on the pod today, uh, we have Carlos Schwicker. Uh, and Carlos, uh, well, actually, I know Carlos for a while now. Uh, we, we both, he was uh, one of the head of the heads of the vent, uh, Philips uh, Electronics' venturing arm, and so was involved with a lot of the marketing, a lot of the birth, and a lot of the, the begin days of Shapeways. Uh, so, so we go back uh, way, way a uh, long time. And subsequently, Carlos got involved with AMFlow. And AMFlow is a company that's using uh, machine vision, machine learning, to identify 3D printed parts and do things like automatic conveyancing, automatic part selection, automatic uh, recognition of parts, see if parts are like, you know, whatever quality control, select them, put them in the right box, that kind of thing. And it's a very interesting startup started by uh, well, a couple of uh, people, uh, some of them extra shapeways and people like that. And they really want to look at, well, one really important thing is like, okay, how do you get your 3D print in the right box? How do you convey everything? How do you check everything? How do you do, how do you make the process efficient? So that's what they're, they're literally doing. So it's a very interesting uh, part of the business right now. So welcome, Carlos. Well, hi there, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And that's sort of uh, a neat uh, sort of summary of what we're doing. So uh, I'm looking forward to expand a bit on it. But um, yeah, that's, um, that's partially what we do. Okay. So, well, so, so how did AMFlow get started uh, exactly? All right, so AMFlow um, has its origins basically with uh, a full-mentioned company that we, that we share, uh, Shapeways. Um, the head of um, global manufacturing, Stephen Rink, was dealing with uh, how do I grow um, and scale the operation? You know, putting two printers up front meant that he had to then grow his own team and ultimately was running a team of 150 people. And that was just not scalable, dealing all with that volume and the key thing around it was a lack of automation after the printing and cleaning uh, parts then everything becomes analog so he had a hands-on experience of wait a minute our business can't grow if we just keep on doing it the way we're doing it now we have to automate that whole process Mm -hmm. so um, he was looking for a solution and got in contact uh, with a company called Borges and they had a piece of software the aforementioned machine learning algorithm mm-hmm. and uh, with that we turned that around uh, to something that can actually identify parts just based on the geometry of a 3d printed part and mm-hmm. because you can then identify any geometry and with 3d printing you can get any geometry you know with we talk about the infinity of geometries that can come out of 3d printing because we had that solution suddenly because you can identify things you can start routing them and conveying them as you mentioned and moving them into uh areas like uh uh, uh, dyeing or tumbling polishing or service treatments but knowing where that individual part was and before that that was not possible you you just you know you had pieces of paper trying to follow individual parts that were printed uh, comparing uh, little images with descriptors of what the order was, you know, what it looked like. Um, and that was a mess. So uh, we just need to help out, try and organize that. I remember somebody was like being super brilliant because they kept confusing parts. 
and then uh and then and then at one point they started weighing them because then that would like also like help differentiate some of them i thought that was <laughs> that was actually yeah. quite <laughs> but it wasn't still not very automated let's say it's not and, very practical not very yeah. automated yeah, yeah that's uh, true and, and yeah. so, so for people who haven't seen this, I mean, uh, it's actually like the first iteration of this is a conveyor belt that goes underneath a camera, and the camera could then you know, work with uh, some kind of pick and place kind of select uh, type machine or conveyancing machine to 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 yeah put it on a different uh, 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 yeah conveyor belt, for example, right? And now you you but now you've kind of gone much more towards like a software kind of integration thing, really, kind of like from that initial stage, or yeah. So where we are now, it's is is the core of it is this um, machine learning AI solution, all right? It's the algorithm that helps us identify the parts. Um, but now, because it's so specifically for the additive manual industry, um, once you've recognized it, you can now sort of sort it. And we've, we're stuck on a sorting uh, solution. And now that you can sort it, you can, all, you can also get it bagged in one go, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the key thing here is we have to understand that this is all about additive manufacturing. A sorting solution, yeah, you can buy that anywhere for any kind of current industry at the moment. But they can't deal with the variance of anything that can be printed in a 3D printer. As you know, uh, it's not just service providers, but also OEMs. They are printing multiple objects in one print run okay it's not just one object but different objects um and because you've got this sort of high volume high mix combination you don't know how to process everything at the same time a lot of these sort of sorting solutions that are available they're built on standardization whereas in 3d printing nothing is standardized because you can be printing anything and that makes our solution, which is both hardware and software, but the key thing is we are able to track and trace that individual part and feed back any information. Once we've located it, we know where it is, we can feed it back into the ERP system. And that's the way you can track and trace those parts um, in an additive manufacturing context. And again, Although sorting sounds like a you know very simplistic kind of not very high tech area, but it becomes <laughs> it becomes high tech because the issue is how do you deal with something that can be small and thin and breakable versus something that is uh, uh, ten times bigger, very sturdy and heavy, and that all goes through one and the same system. Um, it's literally a factory where you're building uh, uh, I don't know a mini car. And an Airbus 380 plane at the same time. That is, that's the variance that you're dealing with with additive manufacturing. And that is something that in existing sort of integrated kind of environments uh, where they're also dealing with sorting, conveying, automation, robotics, they're not dealing with that kind of variance. And we are. Uh, if we look at this kind of solution, how, how fast is it? Or how many parts can I unload on this? How fast uh, in terms of minutes or parts? How many can we deal with? All right. So the recognition rate itself is pretty quick. It's 0 0.2 seconds. That's the recognition rate. Mm -hmm. That's the time we need to identify stuff. Mm -hmm. Then the part can be in any configuration. Like it can be tilted yep. on its side. It, exactly. It doesn't matter yeah. how you lay it down. We just uh, we can recognize it in any way that it's put on a conveyor belt and goes through our system. Then once it's been recognized, then basically you've got the conveyor belt speed that determines 
what next? So roughly, it could be uh, processed through the system to a sorting bin within, say, eight, five to eight seconds. So you're talking about we can, we can run tens of thousands, 12,000, 15,000 parts a day easily. That's not, never going to be the issue. How many environments do you know that are actually producing that volume? That's limited. Um, so we believe that for the time being, that speed is, is sufficient at this, uh, at this point in time to deal with any kind of requests from the market. And, and how, do you, how are you going to tackle the market? I mean, what do I actually concretely buy from you? I mean, is it, do I buy a line? Do I buy a line plus stuff from other people? How does it work? Yeah, so what we have is uh, the basic, the kernel part of it is the aim vision, which is all about the identification of a part, all right? And once you've identified it, we can offer modules. Now, uh, the first is once you've got recognized, people say, all right, can you then sort it into different routes? Because some stuff needs to go to shipping, other stuff needs to follow the the, the menu for an individual part, which can consist of several post-processing steps, which are all batch processes. So if you go into dyeing, it could be green or blue or whatever color you want to give it. But these are all batch processes. And those parts come back, you identify them, and half of them need to be polished, half of the green ones and half of the blue ones, and the rest can go into shipping. So that sorting element, sort of the quarterback environment, uh, basically the quarterback role, uh, that's dedicated to that connection. And then the, the additional modules that come are you can get it with a bagging unit, which becomes then the endpoint so you can bag it it gets labeled you it's got a qr code or, or any kind of information that the client would like to see on those bags uh, you can do uh, uh, also put on a, a a branding label or whatever you want to put on it suddenly it becomes a marketing tool uh, on the front end where plate you can place parts by hand uh, through the vision system but you can also have a a, a robot arm picking uh, parts out of a bin and placing it on the conveyor belt. That's at the front end. So then suddenly um, that whole process becomes automated. Then if you think of those batch processes and bins, you can have those bins brought to you back and forth with a uh, cobot. So then we can also offer that so that the cobot knows I'm bringing this bin from the dime department back to the vision lineup and we can then run it through the system, and then it gets sorted again, et cetera, et cetera. So slowly but surely, we're expanding on the different modules mm -hmm. to be ultimately, which is what our sort of uh, true north is, you know, putting a stake in the ground. But what we would like to see a fully automated production line from A to Z. So from everything after the printer all the way to the shipping department. Mm -hmm. um, so we envisage all sorts of different modules necessary to make it fully automated. But the you know the kernel part of it is identification. Yeah, and is it? Do you see yourself? Because it's interesting that you're focusing on batch based. Everyone in post processing right now still believes in batch based. No one really believes in the line, right? Although we're getting more line uh, based tools. Are you guys also like you know? Do you think like a conveyancing by robot and then different uh, batch based processes is still going to be the near future for a couple of years? Or yeah, I think yeah, all the all post processing you know quality enhancement. Uh, additions which are hugely important for the output all right ultimately it's the end client that believes in the output it needs to look good it needs to be functionally what is being uh, ordered etc etc so all those quality enhancements are necessary these are typically standalone workstations and those are batch processes it even starts at the front end you know you can also argue the printer itself is a batch process 
So the key thing around is you can have multiple printers all lined up, say that we, you've got now five, but you can have 25 and they can be working 24 seven. And it doesn't matter when the, when it comes out of the printer and gets processed, you can have an ongoing automated system being able to deal with whatever the output is ultimately. Um, so we are now literally uh, been approached. You now, can you build a blueprint for a fully automated AM production environment from A to Z? We will just choose the printers, but can you then build the whole system that's then necessary uh, to run this system? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of thinking that's starting to come up now, mm-hmm. and that's only because. They believe in the application. They have a business case for the application, which is I need so many to be printed. It needs to be this quality. It needs to be this cost. And it needs need to be at this speed and lead time for the business case to be relevant for an end client. And that's what we're sort of engaging at the moment. And I think those business cases and the way that they are defined will drive choices between batch online processes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, somebody wants something made, um, not just from a prototyping perspective, but from a production perspective. And I think these are just sort of the next stages for additive manufacturing. And we're getting there. We're just growing automatically into that area because the applications are getting much stronger. Yeah. But, but I still think for you guys, from a go-to-market perspective, it's either you can offer a standard product and just say, this is it, or you could do integration all the time. There's no system integrators, very famously. There's no system integrators for 3D printing. Uh, you could work together with a lot of partners. You could offer everything yourself. It's a very interesting kind of strategic choices for you guys to make now to, to determine your landscape. Yeah, absolutely. And these these are exciting times in, in that sense. And we're being approached with queries. We're also being approached by partners who would like to you know collaborate with us, uh, and we would like to collaborate with them. and. At the moment, from where we are as a sort of as a scale up, um, you know, we're not yet fully grown to be really that substantial, uh, you know, integrator player. It would be great to get there. So we're, at the moment, it's much more of collaborating and getting it and making it work, uh, creating the proof points for this vision. I think that's hugely important. Don't forget, you know, you're you're actually introducing a new automated process for these guys and they need to be sure that that system works day in day out now just just balance the act of you know an automotive that's been working uh, with six sigma rules on one in right, million right. mistakes versus i say i can identify parts in 99.9 percent of the cases mm-hmm. and then he's arguing yeah, yeah but that's one in ten thousand rolls. <laughs> that's and I can't live with that kind of uh, uh, approach. So balancing this act that they understand. Wait a minute, guys. This is still added, additive manufacturing, right? We don't know what's going to hit us. You can you can produce any kind of part that you want to be built in each time. Um, so this is where we're again have to gain that experience together with both clients that believe in this automation and see this as the future and are willing to grow with us and go through those MVPs to get to a fully a, 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 a system that's fully uh, dependent. You know, you can depend on it. Um, th- these are all growing pains. 
um, and we'd love to go through those growing pains. And right. whether we do it alone or with a number of partners, that's that's fair with us. It doesn't matter. We just need to get there. Right. Have you? Are you guys profitable yet? No, we're not profitable yet. Fair enough. <laughs> no, this is we're we're a scale up. You know, this is right. where, yep. where yep. you know we're not we're not there yet. Absolutely not. Um, so we have to prove ourselves day in day out with our clients uh, in terms of uh, the deliverables, in terms of the system being completely hundred percent reliable, etc., uh, etc. Et so um, no, there's still a lot of work for us to do. And and this is interesting because it's one of these. Okay, so on the one hand, you know, a rough guide is a third of part costs are from from post processing and manual post processing, right? So that's a huge, huge cost savings for people that are doing this in house. But also, it means that you can make I don't know, you know, a seatbelt hook or something is not possible, and all of a sudden, if you reduce the 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 price by twenty percent, thirty percent, then all of a sudden it is possible. So it makes a lot more business cases possible, you know. So it's a huge kind of engine for our. Uh, uh, our entire kind of uh, our market for, for the industry as a yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah no that is that's a huge yeah. hugely important driver for also the way that we kick this off as an idea you know if you just look at what are the fundamental parts or contributors to the price point you've you've got a printer which is a hugely uh it's it's most likely going to be the most expensive part in the whole lineup all right uh, and you depreciate it over five years or whatever it may be. So first, it's a bit, it's a big contributor to the cost price, but later on it becomes zero. Then you've got the material. The material prices are still high compared to existing incumbent technologies. You know, just compare the, the price point of a kilo of, of uh, uh, PLA. You know, there, there are huge differences. And then you've got, as I started this conversation, with manual labor. And if you are depending on manual labor for growth, then it's always going to be mm-hmm. expensive it's going to continue to be expensive and mm-hmm. we are still way too high in our cost price per part so mm-hmm. cost price per part is hugely important lead time is going to be another one and the third one is quality and of course quality once you have people handling parts of course you've got the situation that people handle it and then it breaks and they have to reprint it or whatever it may or stuff gets lost you're moving bins around. Where's where was that bin with stuff that we printed yesterday? So you know these things are very uh, uh, you know you can understand them, but um, ultimately it's, these are things that are av- uh, avoidable, and these all contribute to a lower cost price, and that's hugely important for the industry. Yeah, well, I personally, I'm really interested in, in post processing because I believe there's like essentially there's like five virtues. Uh, there's like this virtuous cycle and there's like five, five virtues. If we can increase the value of parts while accelerating the rate of production and raising the volume of parts and reduce the cost and reduce errors, if we can do all of that at the same time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're laughing, right? I but, am. But it's, it's exactly yes. the same thing that Carlos just said. <laughs> right. No, well, but you have to chip away at it, right? Like you can't do yeah. all those things at the exact same time. And the Carlos's solution yeah. is clearly... Yeah. Designed to help, as you say, uh, a a third of the cost of these parts is the post-processing. So if you eliminate a good chunk of that cost right there, 
then you can start working on the printers and the material to see. No, but you, one, I'm only talking about post processing, right? Only in the oh, post processing. You're just talking about post processing. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Only there. I mean, we have so high error rates. I remember I was like, uh, I don't know if I told you before, but I was like, uh, I was doing, uh, if, when you work in materialize, you can get like a, a day at the uh, the post finishing and finishing and stuff. And I was, I was doing a bumper, I was filing down a bumper for a large car company. <laughs> Yep. And I filed it down, and then I, I kind of made, there was a snap fit, kind of like a you know, like a ridge fit, and then I filed it down and kind of broke it. <laughs> so that kind of stuff. It's like a very human, yeah. it's a very artisanal business. So there is a, right. a potential here to, like, you know, reduce errors and costs at the same time, you know, by just using automation. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, uh, yours. It's the key thing around is, um, you know, we've grown incrementally into this pro- problem situation you know we had to prove that the printer could print then we have to prove that the printer can print better and a better higher quality and by the way it has to be able to print more uh so and then you get into the application uh situation and then suddenly we just have grown step by step incrementally into this situation another interesting thing where the market is because people are writing a lot and you guys write a lot about where is the industry and what is the next step in the industry. And now you've got all these people who've just grown incrementally and there are new players coming into the market considering 3D. And then there's, they've just lost, they don't, they don't have this, this, this historical baggage of the way they got there. They're just starting thinking of you what's possible from now. And they're thinking in terms of fully, you know, automated production lines and how do we build that AM factory lights out or industry 4.0 etc etc give it a a name but we have to start fitting in and building those solutions to address these needs and we've created that need in the market we've created that promise in the market and i you know what we do is only part of that solution but it's it's an important part of that solution and we're looking on, on to attract partners to help us build these factories in the end and um you know with the likes of siemens or uh, or other players or players that are only partially involved in additive manufacturing like a hexagon or whatever uh-huh. you know we're, we're trying to link up and also with the printer manufacturers themselves uh-huh. you know together we have to address these these promises and these needs are already existing in the market and they're going to grow as the market grows this issue will grow as well yeah totally. what, what what does like a boeing do right now like you know, they have they have this mix of of AM parts and non AM parts. Are are they not producing enough parts that they need a system like this, or are they doing it by hand, or do they have their own special thing, or do you know? You know, in all honesty, I I, I don't know precisely what they're doing in that sense. Yeah. I'm assuming at the moment that there's no urgency yet to have to switch whatever the business case underlying production of parts is in their in in their factory. I've got no idea. We have been approached, for instance, by Airbus Helicopters, um, mm. who contacted us from a perspective. We thought, you know, this is going to be about AM. Um, no, it's not about AM. Uh, they don't print that many parts, only 3,000 parts or something like that in a year. That's not much. Um, but uh, no, they, they, with, you know, uh, regular manufacturing uh, technologies, they've got 30,000 parts, but these helicopters they build are all more or less customized so even mm-hmm. parts are customized and they've mm-hmm. got thirty thousand parts. So suddenly there's this guy an engineer just fitting the wrong part for the, on the wrong helicopter help mm-hmm. us identify these parts because they're very look alike but they're not the same it's right. been customized 
So even from a non-AM, but from a existing production technology perspective, it's about bigger trends of customization that actually then impact the way that they're doing their production. Does your so, technology improve when you are looking at a less a smaller library? Uh, our intelligence, yeah. So the, it's an it's a machine learning uh, right. algorithm, okay. and therefore everything we throw at it, it learns better. When we kicked off, we had a few starting clients with uh, Midwest prototyping, BMW, and Shapeways, and you know we started uh, running our stuff through the systems, their parts, and we kicked off roughly with. Uh, a recognition rate it's a probability number that we work with um and that probability was roughly about you know it's 55 to 60% fairly low reliability in that sense but once you start throwing stuff through it we are now literally at 95% first time right recognition of parts and that's just on a daily production level we don't know what's hitting us we just get the files we run it through the system and we get them first time right so that algorithm develops itself based on the volumes that we put through it the more we put through it the better it gets we have a, a, a two approaches you can have a general agreement with us and that means that we can use the data of everything processed at a client location and stack it with all the data that we have from other clients and then you've got this huge learning curve on many different forms and geometries mm -hmm. but sometimes locations feel uh, they're sensitive about uh, security and about the the files that they have and they don't want them out so they have sort of their own learning curve they can limit it to their own environment their own premise and then what you're dealing with basically is a much more limited product library mm -hmm. it doesn't matter for us because in that limited product library, you learn even quicker because you've only got so many different things that you can then recognize from. Whereas the variety part, you have it more general, then that is a much more sturdy kind of uh, algorithm that understands that anything can be coming through. Yeah. So there are two ways of a way approaching these, uh, you know, the, the contract that we build up with our clients, and it's up to them how they want to approach it. But the the general version which we update uh, every two months. We come up with a refreshed algorithm level uh, for recognition and share it with our clients, and that's all part of the, the contract and the deal with them. Interestingly, I mean, 95 to me sounds a bit, like, not really high. Am I being mean? I mean, is it, is it, is it, how are you going to, like, get that to, like, like, a much higher percentage? How does that work? More data, more parts, or? It's more data and Time. it's more parts, and it depends a lot on the, on the, uh, uh, the kind of clients that we're dealing with. So, you know, at BMW, they wanted us to be, to commit ourselves to 99.9% uh, recognition rates, and, and that's something that we can work towards. That's, it's not something that is, there from day one but it's something that you can absolutely work towards mm -hmm. uh, we want to be in that 95 to 99.9 bracket that's where we want to be mm -hmm. uh, i think that's already uh, going to be um, uh, a, a, a very stable and reliable setting in that sense mm -hmm. um, but again yeah you know there's always going to be a room a room for improvement in that sense but that's what we're targeting again just to be honest that 99.9 is because you cannot give the guarantee of 100% because you don't know what you're dealing with with 
additive manufacturing. You've got that infinity right. of stuff that can come your way. Uh, any prototype that's in between a stack of uh, a, a, a carrier bin with parts and suddenly you know that throws, uh, throws it on a tangent. You have to work towards understanding that this this is about that infinity that you're dealing with statistically all right that's a challenge and and the interesting thing i've i've always like i would love to do like uh, what i've always thought is a big problem is qa so checking parts as well so can you use your solution to individually check parts and say hey this one's the wrong size or this wall is wrong or something stuff like that well we're we're doing that uh, developing that as we as we're talking now right so uh, where we are at the moment yes we have got sort of banding box kind of uh, measurements Mm-hmm. Uh, so that we can identify from parts that are completely identical except for their size, mm-hmm. all right? So that we can actually distinguish between one and the other. That was already a neat trick to be able to do, not just identifying the part, but there's also, hey, it's, you know, from, from a, if you just look at a render, you'll see the same thing, right? <laughs> but it's a different size. Now mm-hmm. we can actually have, uh, have that calculation in there as well. Um, but yes, we're also building a quality assessment solution using more data points. What we've got at the moment is computer vision within our AM vision solution. So 10 cameras that collect all the data in that split second, overlay it with what we've got from the SDL files and do a probability calculation really quickly. Um, if you want to say something about the quality of that part, you're going to have to need more data points. You need different technology like laser triangulation. And based on that, you can then say much more are in not just on a millimeter level, but on a micron level of, you know, what is this part? Is it, is it correctly built? Is it missing something, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to be aware that quality can mean a lot of different things, right? right. Is it the quality in terms of dimensional accuracy? Is it quality in terms of, look at the surface. Is there any peeling or is it, you know, is any result? Sure. That all the, yeah, exactly. How, what is happening there? Um, what about uh, if it's got a hollow part in, you know, a hollow section in the part, can you measure the hollow section? Is it completely round? You know, all these are parts of what people call quality, but it can mean many, many different things at the same time. So we're taking it step by step. So the first one is, can you identify that something is broken? It's not been printed correct. So that's going to be the first one we're going to tackle. Then the second one will be roughly about surface quality. That will be the second area we would like to say something about. And right, this is sort of the step-by-step approach. How can we add data points that can help us actually say something from that quality approach? And what we're trying to aim for, and I hope we're going to get there, is that we can actually, during Form Next uh, uh, exhibition in November, present a prototype of that quality assessment approach. Um, so we're working on that because literally when we introduced ourselves in Form Next 2018, people say, all right, you can recognize stuff. You can actually say something about it. Can you tell me something about the quality of the print? It was sort of an automatic knee-jerk reaction that they wanted that kind of data. Mm-hmm. I hope you understand that is substantially difficult. <laughs> Mm-hmm. to able in an and and approach it from an industrial perspective you know you asked me how quickly can we process things mm-hmm. we're talking seconds trying mm-hmm. to say something about the quality in seconds mm-hmm. right that's a challenge uh, yeah. we're, we're not afraid of it we're going for it but mm-hmm. that's not an easy one 
Yeah, but I think I think there's other companies that can help. I mean, I like Riven, for example. They're doing like a 3D scanning kind of solution that 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 could potentially do like the same kind of data management stuff for this kind of quality stuff. You got like like uh, this is coincidentally a company. Some people I know like Brain Creators. They do AI and algorithms for checking parts and processes and stuff like that. And do you see that kind of approach as well? That that, that you would be kind of open to just like being kind of like a platform, or is it, is it an ecosystem? Because everyone is an ecosystem, or what are you going to be doing? Yeah, whatever you call it, platform yeah. ecosystem. Again, yeah. it's about it's about finding the right players at the right time and right. when the need is there. All right, so not just don't jump the gun too early on this. It's about okay, let's find the the clients and the, and the application areas in which they really really want to do and 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 also invest in something. Like this. Um, so yeah, you know, this is people talking about talk about it, but having it actually developed, I think you know, uh, it, it, it's keeping tab on the momentum in the market and the urgency and sometimes you've got enough time to develop yourself and otherwise if you haven't got enough time look for the great partners and come up with a solution which is either a platform play or, or an ecosystem play whatever you want to label it but you that's the way to approach it in my, in, uh, from our perspective and does that mean i mean i mean what's your own outlook i mean do you want to grow to a large independent company do you want to sell to someone else what's the ambition level here <laughs> Yeah, where's I think, it going? Uh, yeah, the, the ambition is this: we would love to build this independent company uh, to a point. You know, there's always going to be a situation where somebody's going to be interested. Just take a software development. You know, do do software developers, ERP builders in the AM industry are they building for themselves or just waiting for SAP to hook it up, hook up, and on, on additive manufacturing eventually? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I'll, let's first build this business. Prove that it's viable. Prove that it's uh, it's meeting a need in the market. And that's key for me. That's what this play is about. That's what drives me at least, uh, and drives the team also. We, you know, uh, prove that your what you're putting out there is something that is not just a nice to have, but a need to have in a market, and therefore we have a viable business. And then just take it from there. It would be a very attractive proposition, but I would assume that your sales cycles and the the, the you know the time to go from just meeting with someone to having them be your customers is very long, right? At this point in time, it's it's long, yeah. But uh, again, this is, I'm assuming that putting Corona and what's happened in the world uh, mm-hmm. past year and a half, two years, mm-hmm. putting that aside, structurally, we were growing double digit, mm-hmm. right? We The clients we're talking to are all double digit growth environments. Once that growth continues, and I'm a true believer that that will actually happen, um, that growth in the additive manufacturing market will actually be the strongest measurement of the potential of what we're doing. And I'm a true believer that, yeah, you know, volumes are going to increase. And if those volumes are going to increase, we're going to need that level of automation. Again, coming back to what we pointed out earlier, because we have to take cost price into consideration, lead time into consideration, quality, you know, this, to be, you know, meet that promise of what additive manufacturing is about, all right, which is about localized production, just shifting bits and bytes around, et cetera, et cetera, and, and connected factories. I believe, ultimately, those promises are not in vain. I think there's, there's, there's viability connected to that. I think it's possible. Um, but it's, it's the road to get there is, is difficult. You know, there are all sorts of, uh, um, 
issues that can slow slow it down. And funnily enough, COVID was something that sped it up again. Yeah, they're open to discuss supply chain uh, strategies. Yeah, and, amazing, and, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need you need this black swan from from the east that suddenly breaks up this whole, you know, what we thought was established uh, thinking around supply chain, and it's it's really it, it's has exploded. And because that has exploded, people are also considering. Oh, by the way, is additive manufacturing just a production technology, or is it actually a business strategy for us to to come up with better and cheaper parts? And that's that momentum is going to be the driving force. I like your realism there as well. It's not you're not like, oh my god, I'll just tell you happening. We're going to do a billion parts by Tuesday. It's, it's, it's much. <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, again, I'm, I'm optimistic. I do believe this. You know, that's that's a key thing. I, you know, otherwise I wouldn't have the passion and the energy to put in it. And neither would the team. Yeah. We all believe in this, yeah. um, but we have to be realistic in the in the sense that. Hey, we're a scale up. We still need to prove ourselves. We're not a, you know, we're not a, a mature environment. We're sort of a teenager, <laughs> and the teenagers come with problems and issues. We all have growing pains, um, but it is about that market that is still evolved. And as long as that is growing, um, I believe that ultimately, yes, this is going to be a very interesting space. Yeah, uh, exactly. But also, you've got involved, of course, at the very beginning of Shapeways, where you guys greenlit it. And it was called You Design It. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you oh were there. You I was like, I was there. I'm like, what? <laughs> it was like you hyphen design dot it, and I'm like, no, 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 we're not doing that. This is impossible. No. <laughs> we can't do this. But um, <laughs> no, no, but yeah, but we were very early on in identifying that yeah. there was potentially yeah. in the yeah. future going to be a need around yeah. customized, literally N is one production, yeah. whatever that yeah. may mean, B to C, B to B, or whatever it was. Yeah. And we felt, yeah, this is going to happen one way or another. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the technology is out there. Um, it's much more how has it spread out. And yeah. look where we are now, you know, 2021. Yeah. yeah, but also it's interesting that the original Shapeway suggestion, I think, was from a Philips employee. It was like to do something with Second Life and Rapid Prototyping. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was also, it was also but, about <laughs> using, using the design environment of Philips and having their own designs put out there even yeah. more. You know, uh, that, was, right. that was also the game. But, hey, uh, yeah, that yeah. was way back then. Uh, but it'll evolve. So I think I think I think it's right. You mean you identify the opportunity and you evolve with it, and you hope that then you'll be around to meet the market as it, as it makes itself. Let's say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know that's and that's a key thing I learned from my corporate venturing days. Mm-hmm. You know, you can come up with a great idea, but the the, the speed yeah. of the market is actually going to determine whether that idea and the way that you execute it. I mean. Mm-hmm. the devil is in that detail in that executional detail Uh but if you have got that bigger idea and Uh the way you execute it you know you can get there you'll be you'll Uh be out there you know the the idea of fitbit look where fitbit is now as a company Uh but you know we had a similar kind of idea Uh back way back in phillips at that point in time uh and we literally launched our idea back way back then almost within a month's fitbit yeah. The, the, so and that was a startup. So you know, it's it's uh, that that feeling of where the where, what the future could look like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can work towards these propositions, and I believe Aim Flow is one of those. Uh, I remember you guys also mm-hmm. had three D TVs. They were in like the lobby. And oh, then, uh, and yeah. Then, yeah, and then they killed them. <laughs> and everyone was like, they killed the three D TV. <laughs> we yeah. had one of those in, in my office for like presentations <laughs> with that like weird lensy effect. So you didn't need glasses or anything. It only worked at a very specific angle. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. But hey, well, you know that 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 also has evolved, and we'll get hologram TV or whatever. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And how do you see yeah. this? Who are your customers now? Or how do you see this developing in the near term? Let's say. All right. So just the, the, the customers are now the guys that either are feeling this urgency for automation. You know, I want to scale my business and I can't scale based on recruiting people and it being a manual labor intensive environment. That's not going to work. So we, the clients that have approached us are requesting uh, proposals are typically uh, fast growing additive manufacturing environments. And these, these could be service providers, but they can also be OEM. But they're growing mm. quickly and they're having to deal with the output of, wait a minute, we've adopted this. Oh, wait a minute, now we've got a problem. How do we arrange ourselves? How do we organize this post-processing uh, step? So those are typically the environments, you know, Midwest prototyping, Shapeways and BMW. They were sort of visionary. Those are the visionary, the innovators of the market going in there saying, yes, we need this is going to be very important. But now we're dealing with basically those early adopters are, that are feeling the pain. And they have got a what we call a high volume, high mix kind of output. And uh, they understand how they're going to play their game. And then we are also talking to what I already have called the sort of the early majority uh, uh, environments, which are typically corporate environments in which there are so many parts of the decision-making spread over the company. It could be uh, procurement. It can be uh, R&D. It could be the production line itself or whatever. So it's all over the place in that sense. And then they're not sure where additive manufacturing fits in. So those are the long leads, so to speak. Where we are now, the sweet spot is an environment that is already producing, say, about 300 parts a day, and they are seeing that grow. All right? The clients that I've been talking about, they're already producing 1,500 parts a day. But from 300 parts a day, we have already got a, an ROI model around this, and it has a return within the first year from 300 parts onwards. So, and again, given the growth, the double-digit growth that we've had, and which will return, uh, so that's going to be a, a much larger pool in the future. Yeah, and that's quite mm. interesting because that's a really low base, I think, for uh, yeah. for a lot yeah. of stuff. So that also means that like some corporate R and D setup, a lab at a car company, like an individual design lab, you know. Uh, so there's a lot of users for this then. This this could be there. There could be a lot of different users for this. Uh, ultimately, absolutely, and again, because we want it to be. Um, easy accessible we've not just got a you know simple purchase uh solution for them but we also got a pay as you grow a solution so that they pay a little mm. less and then they have uh, the ability to uh, have a, a, a say 100,000 parts or whatever a year for free and then everything above that if you really start growing then yeah then you'll uh, you'll uh, start paying a tick price for each part but enabling people to access this automation is already going to be uh, what we believe a substantial trigger to actually grow their business because they can automate it and deal with these volumes. Literally, you know, we had one customer we approached a year ago um, and they had 25 uh, printers, amazing big EOS P7, P5, P7. And we were thinking this guy must be printing loads. No, he was printing a lot of large parts. He didn't print anything below a, a, a hundred euro. He didn't print, he didn't, that was his business model. And he was happy with that. And then we explained to him, well, hey, do you understand that there is an economy around the printer that you can actually have a better optimized nesting of the, the bounding box 
and you can produce a lot of smaller parts and have a better margin on those smaller parts. That could also be part of your business. And he didn't realize it and look at it that way. One year later down the line, he's changed his business model. He wants to print smaller parts. He wants our system in place so that he can deal with the smaller parts because large parts, he didn't need that many people to run around with those large parts. Printing a lot of small parts in his environment, he suddenly said, I have to automate. So, you know, that was sort of an incubation time of a year. We're hoping that we're going to shorten that back to your sales mm. cycle that you mentioned, yours. But yeah, you know, these are the kind of environments that suddenly see that, hey, your, your automation is actually open up a different level of business for us. Great. Let's go down there. Okay. All right, Carlos, mm. thank you so much uh, for, for, for talking to us today. It's been a pleasure. You know, I could go on for ages. Actually, but, <laughs> but, uh, that, that aside, you know, um, no, very happy to share where, where we come from and what, how we look at the future and how, where we believe we can move this additive manufacturing industry further. Um, you, you're, you're aware uh, in the email you already shared with me, you know, we, we won the Form Next uh, uh, Startup Challenge Prize uh, in 2020. This year, we won an additional prize from the, uh, the uh, American Society of Mechanical a Engineers, the ASME. They, in the AM Tech Forum uh, Innovation Award, we received the Customer Award. So um, very happy with the acknowledgement and recognition from basically the market, the customer saying, this is important and this is interesting. Um, you know, that gives us a lot of energy. and. Uh, sharing that with you guys and you sh helping us share that message. Uh, really grateful. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Max, for being here today. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Joris, for hosting. <laughs> thanks. And, uh, and thanks a lot for, for, for listening. And this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And my name is Joris Peel. So have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.